Happy Tuesday. It is Tuesday, January 25th, 2022. How's it going out there? My name is Keith Thews, and you are listening to the podcast or the podcast on iRadio called Michiana Speak. We can talk to you, or you can drop us a voicemail and speak to us about any topic that is on your mind or answer any questions that we have for a topic of the day. Let's get on with the weather situation and its effect on a couple of the schools currently uh, before we get on to the national news. Dot wind chill advisory remains in effect from 1 a.m. EST slash midnight CST slash to 11 a.m. EST slash 10 a.m. CST slash Wednesday. What? Very cold wind chills expected. Wind chills as low as 20 below zero. Where? Portions of northern Indiana and northwest Ohio. When? From 1 a.m. EST slash midnight CST slash to 11 a.m. EST slash 10 a.m. CST slash Wednesday. Impacts? The cold wind chills could cause frostbite on exposed skin in as little as 30 minutes. Precautionary slash preparedness actions. Use caution while traveling outside. Wear appropriate clothing, a hat, and gloves. Here is the latest we and WSBT have on the school closings. Both Elkhart and Concord Community Schools have a e-learning day for Wednesday due to the wind chill situation. Detailed forecast this afternoon a chance of flurries before 5 p.m., then a chance of flurries with a slight chance of snow showers after 5 p.m., partly sunny and cold, with a high near 17. West wind around 15 miles per hour chance of precipitation is 10%. Tonight a 30% chance of snow showers, mainly after 7 p.m., mostly cloudy, with a low around minus 1. Wind chill values as low as minus 15. West wind around 10 miles per hour Wednesday a chance of flurries before 1 p.m., mostly sunny and cold, with a high near 10. Wind chill values as low as minus 15. West wind around 10 miles per hour Wednesday night mostly clear, with a low around 1. Wind chill values as low as minus 10. South wind 5 to 10 miles per hour Thursday a 20% chance of snow after 1 p.m., mostly cloudy, with a high near 28. South wind around 15 miles per hour with gusts as high as 25 miles per hour Thursday night a chance of snow and freezing rain before 1 a.m., then a chance of snow. Cloudy, with a low around 13. Chance of precipitation is 40%. Friday a 30% chance of snow before 1 p.m., partly sunny and cold, with a high near 20. News Nation This Hour, I'm Vic Vaughn. The State Department's asking Americans who are non-essential to the U.S. Embassy mission in Ukraine to leave now, ahead of a possible Russian invasion. One who lives there has spoken with News Nation. Definitely nervous. Um, I have a plan to visit a neighboring country um, in the next few days. You know, test it out kind of thing. Um, I'm I'm within driving distance of another country, so I'm I'm just going to drive there and maybe maybe stay a few days. State Department doesn't yet have the exact number of Americans still in Ukraine. 
Three days of multilateral talks on hunger in Afghanistan have been held outside Geneva between the Taliban and diplomats from the U.S., the EU, Britain, France, and host nation Norway. Now bilateral talks with all parties, including independent humanitarian organizations, are taking place. Aid groups and international agencies estimate about 23 million people face severe hunger and nearly 9 million are on the brink of starvation. The UN has managed to provide some liquidity and allowed the Taliban administration to pay for imports, including electricity. I'm Charles de Ledesma. This morning's delayed World Economic Outlook report shows the pandemic's toll on this year's global economic growth forecast. The AP's Rita Foley. The International Monetary Fund is downgrading its forecast for the world economy this year. COVID is among the reasons. The IMF now predicts the global economy will expand 4.4% in 2022. Down from 5.9% in 2021. Pfizer's conducting a study to compare its original COVID-19 vaccine with doses that it's tweaked to match the Omicron variant. The study was announced Tuesday and includes 1,420 healthy adults. Most are vaccinated and will get boosters of the Omicron-based vaccine or the original version. Some unvaccinated volunteers will get three Omicron-based doses. I'm Julie Walker. A new lawsuit accuses Google of misleading its smartphone users. News Nation's Nick Smith. Texas, Indiana, Washington, and the District of Columbia accuse Google of falsely leading customers to believe that changing the account and device settings would allow them to protect their privacy. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton says Google misled consumers by continuing to track their location even when users sought to prevent it. Find News Nation on your cable or satellite provider and stay up to date around the clock at NewsNationNow.com and the News Nation Now app. I'm Vic Vaughn. From Feature Story News in Washington, I'm Simon Marks. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson says Western allies will respond to any Russian attack on Ukraine with economic sanctions heavier than anything imposed before. He spoke today in the British Parliament. If the worst happens and the destructive firepower of the, of the Russian army were to engulf Ukraine's towns and cities, I shudder to contemplate the tragedy that would ensue. The stage is set in Paris tomorrow for crisis talks. French President Emmanuel Macron will host the Germans, the Russians and the Ukrainians, the so-called Normandy Four. David Galbraith, Professor of International Security at the University of Bath, says the meeting shows diplomatic avenues are at least still open. I think you could take it as a good sign, but Putin understands also uh, that there's really a split in Europe itself in terms of those who are more hardline and supportive of Ukraine and those who are much more or, let's say, friendly towards Moscow. The International Monetary Fund has downgraded its forecast of global economic growth this year to 4.4%. The fund says economic slowdowns in the US and China, prompted by COVID-19, will place a drag on economic activity globally. From FSN's Washington Bureau, Nick Harper reports. The IMF now sees 4% growth in the US, a drop of 1.2% from its previous forecast. And China received a 0.8% downgrade, with the IMF predicting growth of just 4.8% this year. The IMF says the global economy entered this year in a weaker position than previously expected, with surprises such as the Omicron variant causing market volatility and extra pressure on getting economies back on track after two years of the pandemic. Britain's Metropolitan Police will investigate a series of parties held in Number 10 Downing Street and other government offices in apparent breach of COVID-19 lockdowns. From FSN's London Bureau, Benji Hire with the details. The Matt 
is now investigating a number of events. Metropolitan Police Commissioner Dame Cressida Dick referring there to about a dozen gatherings during lockdown. The police force had previously suggested it wouldn't look retrospectively into what it calls these many potential breaches, but as a result of information provided by an inquiry, it's been forced to act. Millions of people in Central Asia were left without power today after an electricity line shared between Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan failed. Service was restored late in the day, but only after causing substantial disruption. And a mother in New Jersey discovered that her 22-month-old son ordered more than $1,800 worth of goods from the online retailer Walmart when he played with her cell phone. Truckloads of furniture started being delivered to their home. The family is waiting for all the deliveries to arrive before returning them in person to their local store and presumably putting a password on the phone. From bureaus worldwide, this is FSN. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks. Today, what is Vladimir Putin's endgame in the crisis with Ukraine? When Joe Biden first became president, the White House made it clear that America's new leader did not want to be distracted by Russia from focusing on the pressing domestic issues besetting the United States. Well, now Vladimir Putin has firmly forced himself onto the president's agenda. It is easy, and we've heard from some analysts already, who argue that Vladimir Putin wants to to recreate the Soviet Union. But Lionel Barber, former editor of the Financial Times, disagrees. He may not have made the final decision on whether to, to invade Ukraine, but he's certainly using absolute brinkmanship to get a redrawing of the security arrangements in Europe, which the Americans pressured Russia after the collapse of the Soviet Union. NATO went east, right up into what, what Mr. Putin would say, this is Russia's near abroad, uh, the near neighborhood. And Mr. Putin is essentially seeking to redraw that, push the West back and reduce that area, whether it's Ukraine, the Baltic states, Romania, Bulgaria, to a state of mm. subservience. He argues the last thing the Russian leader wants is to run those countries himself, but he does want them dependent on Moscow for economic engagement and security. The main news again, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson says Western allies will respond to any Russian attack on Ukraine with economic sanctions heavier than anything imposed before. The IMF has downgraded its forecast of global economic growth this year to 4.4%, blaming COVID-19 slowdowns. And millions of people in Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan were left without power today after an electricity line in the region failed. And that is the latest feature story news. Simon Marks reporting. And welcome back to the podcast this afternoon of Michigan Speak Out. That was the national news. Again, we ask that you please continue to keep Eastern Europe in prayer. Latest words that we have on the situation are that President Biden may add additional troops beyond 8,500 to serve in neighboring countries next to Ukraine for the situation. Also shared earlier today around the noontime, uh, lunchtime, is that the United Kingdom has also pledged sending troops into the area uh, should it be necessary if there is a Ukraine invasion by the Russians. Um, this is not looking good, and, and word is that, uh, according to National Public Radio, is that this could be the biggest invasion since World War II, should 
uh, Russia decide to invade the country of Ukraine. And also, according to National Public Radio, we uh, this would also uh, would have sanctions that would affect a lot of uh, technology growth and things like that um, over there in, in, in Russia, in addition to many other things. By the way, uh, just to remind all of you, please, 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 uh, while I'm here chilling at the Backyard Louis with Backyard Louis himself, um, please make sure you got your water at a trickle level. Make sure you get heat brand, gas line antifreeze into your vehicles. And most importantly, check on loved ones. Make sure the homeless are indoors tonight and definitely do not leave those pets at any cost out in the cold for long periods of time. And when we come back, we're going to go and get the latest from ABB Formula E as the countdown is on to races number one and race number two there in Saudi Arabia in area midday on Friday and Saturday. So uh, stay tuned, then we'll go to Happy and Hole and Him and wrap another story up with Paul Harvey. Formula E is back as we welcome the opening rounds of Season 8 of the ABB FIA Formula E World Championship in Diria on a track that always hosts an entertaining event. All electric street racing under the lights with some of the highest caliber drivers in motorsport. It doesn't get much better than this and it starts this Friday and Saturday. And we go green under the lights. Stay calm, keep your head down, it's Formula E. Wheel to wheel, nose to tail. But here comes Nick De Vries! First world champion, mate. Crashes, drama, unexpected wins, and Formula E's first world champions. It's safe to say the Season 7 finale in Berlin was not at all uneventful. Mercedes EQ finished the season as team's champions and Mercedes driver Nick De Vries with the driver's title after the showdown that brought both championships right down to the wire. But it was close only 10 points separating the top five drivers at the close of the season. And now we're here five months later, ready to go again, but this time with a new qualifying format, more power, drivers in different teams, new rookies, and even stronger competition. This is the final year of the Gen 2 car, so the machinery is mostly the same, but that doesn't necessarily mean we'll see a similar story. One of the main takeaways from preseason testing was that the championship winning Mercedes EQ powertrain is looking competitive once again. Eduardo Mortara topped the timings in the Mercedes-powered Rocket Venturi racing car. The Swiss driver enjoyed the first round of the season here last year, finishing on the podium, bossing his way around the desert street circuit. A good race package and previous success, could we see a return to the podium for Mortara to kick off the season? Nick de Vries, 
wins the first race of the Formula E World Championship. Thank you guys, thank you very much. First FE win. The opening round here last year kick-started Nick De Vries' championship winning season with his first win in Formula E and the perfect race day, pole position and the win. And even in the second round after starting 20th, De Vries climbed up 11 places and got the fastest lap. This is clearly a circuit that suits the Dutchman and testing would suggest he's still got the car to push for race wins. But his strongest competition might come from the other side of the garage and Stoffel van Dorn. And Stoffel van Dorn wins the Romy Prix! Redemption! Both Jaguar TCS racing drivers Sam Bird and Mitch Evans are familiar with the Diria podium, Bird having stood on the top step twice in two different cars. Last season was the team's most successful campaign in the championship, and in Season A, they're looking to push on and convert the team's progress into more race wins and a championship title. So another good run in the opening rounds would be a great way to show their intentions. Making things a little bit harder for the drivers with previous success in Diria are those with something to prove. A pair of former champions at DS de Cheetah on the hunt to reclaim their titles. The Tag Heuer Porsche Formula E team and drivers still pushing for their first taste of victory in Formula E. Envision Racing keen to showcase that pace and consistency we've come to expect from them and many other teams and drivers with a mission to complete. And in Formula E, it can be anyone's for the taking. The rookies that impressed last season and are back to compete again now have a season's worth of experience, podiums, and in Jake Dennis's case, race wins under their belt. Jake Dennis has proved them all wrong. I am so happy, you might even have a beer. The training wheels are off and replication of success is an expectation, not a bonus. Dennis finished third in the championship and was leading it before crashing in the final race of the season. Oh, man. He had a disappointing start to his debut campaign last year, so higher finishing positions in those first few rounds could have been enough to secure Dennis the title, meaning even stronger competition in the opening rounds of this season. In terms of new rookies, everyone is keen to see how Antonio Giovinazzi can get to grips with Formula E after life in Formula 1. His limited time testing means he has a steep learning curve ahead, but using Dennis as an example again, the opportunity is there for rookies to perform, and we saw both Dragon Penske Autosport drivers last season finish with double-digit points after the opening weekend, a huge step up on previous seasons. The American team could be giving the Italian driver an even more competitive package for Season 8. Oliver Askew was the fastest of the rookies in testing and is racing for a team and in a car that challenged for the championship. Askew has a good chance of being competitive if he can transfer his IndyCar skills to the notoriously difficult to drive Formula E car. Dan Tictum is the final rookie racing for the first time in Formula E this week. Hired as a young talent, an F2 race winner, and in respect to his street racing success in Macau. This is a circuit that could suit Tickton, given that sections of this track are often likened to the Macau GP street circuit. It'll be interesting to see if the changes behind the scenes at Neo 333 will help give Tickton and veteran teammate Oliver Turvey a more competitive car than we've seen in previous seasons. The biggest changes going into Season 8 come with the new safety car rules, extra power in the cars, and the new dual knockout-style qualifying format. These are likely to be game-changing to the championship, and you can take a look at our new rules and regulations explainer video to find out how they'll work and all of the details.
Like last season's opener, rounds one and two will take place at night on the 21-turn, 2.5-kilometer-long Diria street circuit, located in the 15th-century UNESCO World Heritage Site. A fast and challenging circuit configuration with high-speed sections, undulations, sloping fast corners, and tricky characteristics, many of the drivers' favorite circuit on the calendar. I love racing in Saudi Arabia and the, and the Diria track is, is amazing, you know, I've, I was the first winner there in season five and I've got great memories out of that track. You don't have any real hairpins, it's really just flowing in between the walls with no runoffs, so clearly precision is, is key obviously to, to a fast lap. It's really a track of two halves in terms of the first half is twisty, constant corner after corner after corner, which need a lot of commitment. Um, and then the second half, which is yeah, a longer straight, good overtaking opportunity, big stop um, in, the, in the breaking zone to the chicane. It's an awesome one to, to race that. Now, one of those tricky characteristics is sand. Being located in the desert, sand moves around with the wind and finds itself settling on the track. As the wind blows, the cars move that sand around the surface, meaning the drivers have to contend with a moving, clean racing line and adapt their driving for improved grip and speed throughout the race. Now combine that with the rubber laid down by the running and teams will be constantly adapting to the shifting conditions from shakedown to the end of round two on Saturday, alongside the change in ambient temperature that comes with racing at night. It's these factors that in the past have resulted in unexpected spins, contact with the walls and collisions, making racing here just that little bit more exciting. Season eight kicks off this Friday night. Let us know your thoughts and predictions in the comments and head over to fiaformulae.com forward slash watch to find out where you can watch the race. Friends, how often do we pray that we will not be deceived by the devil? How much time do we spend thinking about the schemes of the enemy? Jesus taught us to pray daily, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or it could be translated, the evil one, Matthew 6.13. Jesus told us to pray that because he knew the devil is good at what he does. Do we believe Jesus? Hi, I'm Pastor Joel of Heart City Church, and we've been examining the ways in which the devil seeks to destroy us. Charles Spurgeon once said, The devil can make men believe that it is to their own advantage to do that which is causing their everlasting ruin. He can make men carry coals of fire in their bosoms and dream that they shall not be burned. He can make them dance upon the brink of hell as though they were on the verge of heaven. Spurgeon is spot on about how the devil tempts us and has led so many into destruction. It was how he got started in Genesis 3 when he pulled one over on Eve. Did God really say, doesn't God want you to be happy? And Eve was unprepared. She had no answer. Why not listen to the devil? Taking this fruit is to my advantage. How much bad could come of it? Do you see how sneaky the devil was and how we're still paying for it with all the sin and misery in our world? Historically, Christians have made much of the dangers of the devil and his temptations. In the 16th century, Christopher Marlowe wrote a play about Dr. Faustus, this man who struck a deal with Lucifer, the devil. Faustus sold his soul to the devil in exchange for 24 years where he could live it up and have the good life. He sealed the pact with his own blood, and then, boy, he does live it up. Faustus gets money, power, wine, women, and song. 
24 years later, Lucifer shows up to claim what is his. Faust's story concludes with him warning his family not to be as, as unwise as he was, as his body is totally wasted and his soul sent to experience the torments of an everlasting hell. It's not a pretty scene ending. The story is a tragedy meant to warn its viewers. In his book, The Gospel According to Satan, Jared Wilson keenly notes how modern-day American retellings of this story have brought on a very different ending. I remember as a young man who loved to play guitar hearing about Robert Johnson, the blues guitarist who seemed to have six fingers because he could play like no one else. The rumor was that Johnson sold his soul to the devil to be able to play like no one else ever could. Clapton and others have praised Johnson as a legend. And, hmm, suddenly there's a new last chapter to the devil deal story. Hmm, maybe a deal with the devil isn't so bad in our day. In fact, maybe we're even able to best the devil. He's not so clever as to take us down. Isn't that what we see in Charlie Daniels' song, The Devil Went Down to Georgia? The devil challenges Johnny to a fiddling contest. and The devil puts up a fiddle of gold. And Johnny, he has to put up his soul. A confident Johnny rosins up his bow, and boy, he outfiddles the devil. And the devil bows down before Johnny, who curses him as he boasts he's the best there's ever been. Or how about Ralph Macchio of Karate Kid fame in the guitar duel with the devil's guitarist, legendary Steve Vai, in the movie The Crossroads. And Macchio dethrones the devil. Because the devil, well, he's not so bright after all. Or maybe that is what the devil wants us to think in our day while he's actually up to his old tricks. You will be like God if you bargain with me and take what I promise is so delightful. He wants our eyes to light up at the thought of fame, power, a fiddle of gold. Wilson writes, He wants you to hold your soul cheap and the stuff of this world precious. He wants you to make the bargain. He even wants you to think you're too smart to fall for the trick. He wants you to think that you're too powerful. He likes his prey to swagger before he destroys them. Friends, the devil has a playbook full of tricks tailor-made for each of us. He knows the temptations we're individually prone to fall for. And he also knows how to stroke our ego into thinking we're not spiritually vulnerable. The Bible warns us, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Friends, Let's not buy into the myths that suggest the devil is co no concern to us modern men. Rather, let's listen to our Lord Jesus and pray each day that we not be led into temptation that will be delivered from the evil one. Let's value our souls and put on the full armor of God that we might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. My friend, remember who you are and who you belong to. Now, the rest of the story. Can a computer fly an airplane? Oh, yes. Oh, my, yes. Computers can and do, routinely. But only to a point, for although an autopilot often assumes control when a plane has reached cruising altitude, the more delicate procedure of takeoff and landing are usually, usually, entrusted to the deft hands of a real, live crewman. But once upon a summer afternoon, two pilots entrusted their landing to a computer and looking back on that choice, we now know it was an incredible mistake. 
for they had flown into what was then known as the dead man's zone, the point of no return. They had actually descended to an altitude so low that it would have been impossible to pull up and out again without crashing into nearby mountains. And it was at that point that the control panel alarm went off. The alarm that told the pilots they had overshot their landing spot. The alarm that told them that their autopilot overloaded had malfunctioned and their autopilot was hurling them to their deaths. The captain, his face white, his pulse pounding at 156, disengaged the computer and took hold of the controls with his own bare hands. With virtually no time left to do so, he would have to make a quick fish hook turn, eyeball a new landing site, and bring her in by hand. As the captain squinted out the window, his co-pilot called out velocities and altitudes from the instruments in front of him, and then the co-pilot glanced at the fuel gauge and gasped, only seconds, only seconds of fuel remaining. He told the captain... But it was too late to worry about that now, for in moments they would be down, peacefully or in pieces, and either way the responsibility lay in one man's mortal hands. The captain spotted a flat clearing with no hope left but to go for it. He went for it, and manually, manually he guided his craft to a safe, soft landing. It was 4.16 p.m., July 20, 1969, that they landed in the so-called Sea of Tranquility. This is the rest of the story. The Eagle had landed. And six hours and 38 minutes later, Captain Neil Armstrong descended a ladder. Carefully, he pressed his left boot into the powdery plane of another world. He made a footprint on the moon. It was fitting, after all, that mankind's first giant leap across the black abyss of space be concluded with a hands-on Wright Brothers-style landing. But yet with such a requisite, Houston mightn't have left the moon unexplored. Had they known it was going to be like that, a hands-on landing, we might not yet have gone to the moon. Billions of dollars worth of new products and whole new industries have been harvested from our space program, freeze-dried foods and shatterproof eyeglasses, quartz crystal watches and cordless power tools, artificial limbs and mass spectrometers for surgery, the heart pacemaker and weather watcher satellites, and one thing more. Because the computer aboard the Eagle almost knocked the top off a lunar mountain forcing Neil Armstrong with 18 seconds of fuel remaining to land by hand. Computers were improved, computers were downsized, and the laptop personal computer revolution was born. And now you know the rest of the story. Thanks for watching. Check out some of our other videos and don't forget to like the video and subscribe. Just click the logo on the left. This is News Source 1 Michiana, Elkhart South Bend, 1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-